Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. Resolute Square. There was also maintained what was called an enemy's list, which is rather extensive and continually being updated. My guest today is Simon Rosenberg. Simon writes the brilliant Hopium Chronicle substack. He is a Democratic political uh, pollster, analyst, genius, all-around good guy, and he has deep insights into races. And we didn't really know each other until 2022 when I saw Simon make the point that there was no red wave, and it clicked in my head, and I said, he's absolutely right. Here, are the, Here's why. And and he had made a great case for it, and then it it just elevated into not just a case but an idea. And so this year he is a little more optimistic in some areas, and and is showing some re- reasons why you know naming Donald Trump as the Republican nominee may be a poison pill for the Republican Party. Um, but with that, Simon, good to see you again, my friend. Welcome to the Enemies List, and let's just start right out. Give me your read on the state of the race as we are right now. Yeah, I mean, with New Hampshire behind us now, um, you know, we're getting data, right? And it's early 2024 elections, people are voting. And and I think that, to me, the big conclusion I have is this basic dynamic that's been driving our politics since the spring of 2022, which is puts after Dobbs, the Dobbs decision, which is strong Democratic performance and Republican struggle. We're seeing that now. We saw it in 2022 in the battleground states. We saw it throughout the country in 2023 in elections all across the country, and we're now seeing it in 2024. I, I think that Donald Trump and MAGA struggled uh, in these last two elections. The turnout in Iowa mm-hmm. was really low. Uh, you know, he I, I did the math on this. He got 56,000 votes in Iowa, and 700,000 Republicans didn't vote for him that night. It's I know. Think about that. It's just, I mean, there was it was an anemic turnout, um, right. and he barely broke 50, right? And then we go to New Hampshire, and what you know, Haley overperformed the polls by 10 to 15 points, right? And Trump 
for the you know Trump was now on the other side of overperformance. It used to be that he overperformed polls, mm-hmm. right? She overperformed, you know, dramatically beat expectations based on on the polling. I think it's one of the reasons he was so pissed off, frankly, on election night, which is he thought he was going to crush her and this thing was going to be over. That didn't happen. And then we also know that we've gotten this data now that's getting a lot of attention. I think I think national reporters are now having to actually really look at what's happening, right? Not what, you know, the various polls showing him up by a lot. And there were two these big warning signs, which is a big chunk of the Republican Party is views his criminality and his misdeeds as, as disqualifying, you know, 20, 30, 40% of the electorate. That's a big number, Rick, right? And then the second thing is we've seen data that a sizable portion of the Haley vote will pick Biden over Trump. And I think that you and I can look back in our careers, and I don't know that there's ever been polling data uh, of one group of a party willing, so willing to vote for the leader of the other party in a presidential election. And I can't, I've thought about this a lot, and I'm actually going to try to talk to other people about this. And so we're seeing these bright, you know, the warning signs for the Republican Party are blinking as bright as they can mm-hmm. right now. Because what happened in 2022, we already did a test of this, right? 2022, the Trumpy candidates struggled to pull the coalition together after divisive primaries. Uh, many of the anti-MAGA, you know, Republicans just stayed home or ended up voting for the Democrats, and they all lost. So we already went through, we saw this movie already, right, in these same states that are going to be the battleground presidential states, and it went really badly for them. And the thing is, Trump is is not the same candidate that he was in 2020. No, oh no. This is the thing that I think has really been the other piece that has not gotten enough discussion. And I'll go through it really quickly, right? First of all, he's campaigning from the courthouse, not the White House. Second is that he's much more degraded and extreme and dangerous than he was Third, his performance on the stump is far more erratic and unhinged. And fourth is that he's making unforced political errors, the kind of things that in the more traditional way we examine politics, things like coming out against the ACA. What in the world is he doing touching that, right? I can tell you, having worked for the DCCC in 2018, we got to eight and a half points in that margin of victory in the House races because of Republican opposition to the ACA, right? What a foolish, unforced error this was. And because in part because of his delusion and his craziness and his unhinged nature, he's also now making serial, serious, unforced errors. They're going to make it much harder for him to win. And so when I look at him, I see a faded glory. I see a, a, you know, a candidate far weaker than he was in 2020, and I think Joe Biden's been a good president. The country's better off, and we're going to have a strong argument for re-election. So I'm optimistic. When I pull all this together, I'm optimistic, and I think we can win in 2024. You know, and I think something that you've talked about a little bit, and we talked about this on the on uh, one of the streaming shows the other night, the economic underpinnings of the Republican argument a year ago looked a lot better than they do now. The Democratic arguments for the economy look like we're headed on a vector that's going to lead to some meaningful uplift for the president uh, as we go into the summer and fall. Talk to us a little bit about why or or how much that's going to impact the race, because I I think people underscore it in today's day and age. Yeah, listen, I thought it was fascinating. There was this clip of Haley in South Carolina on Wednesday that got a lot of coverage. 
of her obscuring Trump. But one of the things she says is, you know, look, we we didn't talk about all the things Biden had done wrong. And the first two things she said is the economy is doing terribly and inflation's way too high. And it's like, hello. I mean, you know, right. I mean, Excuse me? yeah, hello. I mean, the the core In what nation? Right, the core <laughs> of her indictment of Biden was like they didn't update in the, you know, in the little talking points they gave her, you know. And the problem is that once you take that away from the Republicans, once you take away the core economic indictment, what do they really have, right? That he's old? Well, I, you know, is he more old than Trump is crazy, right? Is he, you know, is he, they're, they're going to go to the border stuff. But Rick, you and I know that the Republicans have no real track record of turning immigration and border issues into a general election issue. It's usually a primary. Quite the opposite as a general rule. Right, right. Look what happened in 2018. Trump spent the last month of the election talking with the caravans. I'm not, look, it's an issue that has to be managed, right? But but the notion that they're now going down into second and tertiary, you know, third tier issues and believing they're going to be able to push them up into the upper tier, it's just never happened in recent political history. And so there's a desperation, I think, on their part because they they don't their indictment of Biden, the Biden's success as president is causing their talking points about him and the indictment of him to evaporate. And what they're left with is not enough to win an election, in my view. And that's why, you know, this is very meaningful, what's happened, in the, it just politically, right? Forgetting about consumer sentiment and everything else. You and I live in this world of strategy. How do you make arguments? How do you advance a campaign? The, the success the economy's had in recent months and the fact that prices are now falling, GDP is strong, record stock market, you know, deficit is trillions less. This is a very, very strong record to run on. I mean, and and so even just one thing that I think is going to start getting more attention, wages are still growing at about 5% annually, and inflation is basically down to zero. So what's now happening today and over the last several months is we're having the mo- most robust real wage growth that we have seen in decades. And that's happening right now, right? And it's been happening really for three to four months. And if that continues for another two or three months, People are really going to feel that, right? And because it is, the prices are not, you know, are falling. Eggs are down. Most groceries have come down. Groceries, by the way, have only increased by 1% in the last 12 months. I mean, this notion that, mm-hmm. you know, and so I, look, I, but it's, you know, these are arguments that have to be prosecuted in the campaign. And it's sure. why the Biden, 100%. the Biden campaign needs to ratchet up and turn on and they're bringing on new people. You know, I think we're a little behind. And, and I think that, you know, I think that they, yeah, I mean, they're behind where they should be. And um, it's not worrisome, but they're addressing it. It's a challenge that they're addressing. But I think once we fully, we're fully engaged with Trump day to day in all the ways the campaign engage, I feel like we're going to be able to move the needle in our favor. And I, and I just don't know how you put lipstick on the Trump pig and make this guy look like a serious presidential candidate ever again. Yeah, I mean, I, your point that he is declining and diminished and, and, and not the 2020 candidate, not certainly not the 2016 candidate, who, who had a much higher level of onstage presence and performance in everything he did, Trump was funny, whereas, where a lot of candidates are very you know, stolid. And, and, and for all that, what you see now is this very angry guy just muttering and, and trying to mumble his way through these speeches. And, you know, with the 24 hour rage posting on social media, it's just, it's a very different picture for people. And 
you know, as I wrote something the other day, like people age differently. And Joe Biden, he's aging well. He's old. Yeah, he's, old. he's old. Okay. But I don't think I don't think that hit. Just as we've seen with the economy improving, suddenly the caravans are back. With Trump looking frail and looking unwell on the stump, I think we've started to see a decline in the Biden isn't healthy. Now they're making Biden. He's a criminal mastermind or whatever, <laughs> whatever fantasy that Jim Comer comes up with. Uh, speaking of Jim Comer, I wanted to ask you about your view on where we're headed in the House and Senate. I mean, McConnell in the Senate on paper has a great map. I think we probably both agree that the House is in is in really good position for the Democrats to do a pickup in the House. I think that there's now a really profound uncertainty that's been put into the congressional part because of Trump's assertion of ideological control over the, the Republican Party and McConnell's, in some ways, surprising willingness to go along. And I, and I don't, I don't really know. My own view is that I'm, I'm sort of holding my opinion about what all this means because I think the idea that we could really not do a border bill, not fund Ukraine, not fund Israel, is so unimaginable that I don't really know what it does to our politics. I think it's unsustainable for the Republican Party. I don't I don't think there's really any powerful rationale to not do those things other than Donald Trump doesn't want them to. And I don't think that's a sufficient reason, particularly for candidates running in swing, you know, competitive areas that you have to bend the knee and destroy the country to do so. I mean, go run on that, baby, right? And, you know, or like, I mean, I, I wrote today that you know, Republicans are literally arguing their agenda now is they want the border to be in chaos. They want the economy to crash. They want more dead and Putin to win. Yeah, Putin to win and more dead kids in school and more women to die on operating tables. And, you know, and I, I just don't think that that's sustainable for them. And I know that's maybe where they are right now. And because there are, as you know, you and your colleagues often use a word that I think is one of the most important words in American politics, which is cowardice, right? Is that you're seeing just outrageous historic levels of appeasement and cowardice of a dangerous politics. And, you know, I don't, I just don't know that it's sustainable for them. And so I think that all of this to me creates this new kind of dynamic that I don't know how it's going to ricochet out. I do think it makes it more hard for the Republicans to keep the house harder. And I think it may, you know, I don't know that it puts Texas and Florida in play for us, right, uh, over time. And certainly Texas is going to get wild, right, given what Abbott's doing. But but I think I think that we, yes, McConnell's got a great map, but we still could end up at 50-50, right? I mean, they don't have any, there's none of those other races they need to win are they definitively ahead in right now. What do you think of the theory, and somebody presented this to me last night, that as Trump now has basically seized control of the nomination, we know it's going to be him, and he's starting to look down the ballot at races that he that he likes, that he's going to end up pushing, you know, a Doug Mastriano over a Dave McCormick or a Kerry Lake over any other option. Well, I, I suspect that his hatred of McConnell and his impulsiveness and the fact that he knows he has the nomination in the bag may lead to some really crazy candidates getting on the ballot. And just like in 22, when the crazies are on the ballot, we win. Yeah, I, I think I think it's all, you know, this has to be a nightmare for McConnell, right? It has to be a nightmare. I mean, he hates this guy and he doesn't want to bend the knee. And, I, and it's possible that this is a sign that Mitch really is at the end of his run, 
that he's capitulating so quickly that he doesn't have the strength to really, you know, Ron Johnson took this. I think we talked about this the other day, Rick. Ron Johnson, who is one of the worst human beings and worst senators in the modern history of the United States, you know, took this huge shot at McConnell for not saying he couldn't, or you know, um, negotiate his way out of a paper bag. I mean, people don't talk about Mitch McConnell that way in Washington. And, and it was a sign that the MAGAs were going to come for him, right? And that McConnell, I think, wants to stay in power through the end of the year. He doesn't want to have to be stepped down early. But the question is whether or not there's going to be an effort to remove him, you know, in the way they removed McCarthy, right? And because now that Trump is in charge, he doesn't want a disloyal guy in one of the organs of the of the party. And We'll see. I, I, I don't I don't I think this has got I think I've been writing for some time that the return of Trump is going to be completely destabilizing to the Washington Republican Party, because, as you know, 75 percent of Washington is McConnell land. Right. I mean, McConnell is is the monster in D.C. and, and particularly because the House looks so wild and crazy and Johnson has no relationships. And so it's going to be I, I think that this is where Biden's years of navigating this town, understanding the game, is going to, re- and Machete and his whole team that are wildly experienced people, are going to, it's really going to matter now in a time when what's left of the functional Republican Party, of which there's very little left, is about to go through, you know, collapse. I, I, the other guy to watch is Thune. I think Thune is a very interesting figure because he's made it very clear that he views Trump as a big problem for the party and how long he what happens with him and whether or not there becomes this kind of outpost. I mean, Susan Collins just said she's not going to endorse Trump. I mean, does she endorse Haley, right? Does Haley, if she stays in through Super Tuesday, is there this holdout group that is hoping that the Supreme Court somehow disqualifies him, you know, and gets him out of the race? I don't know. I I, I think this is a, I think that the Republican Haley has thrown a, a wrench into the machine a little bit I don't know how serious it's going to be, but I think she's going to stay in through Super Tuesday. She's having too much fun. You know, I was it's funny. I was told that it was kind of a they kind of called an audible in New Hampshire on it. They were prepared if it was a real blowout to walk away. This is what I was told by somebody close to the campaign. And my belief is that every day she's in the race is an opportunity actually for Joe Biden. Every day she's in the race is an opportunity for Donald Trump to do another thing that shows how much he hates women, to do something else crazy and something else racist and something else conspiratorial. I think she could serve a valuable function now just by holding that 30-day window between now and South Carolina or maybe even between now and Super Tuesday open so that he doesn't have anything to focus on except her and he will just pour down insanity that actually Joe Biden should bank and save and roll it back out later about how he treats women. Listen, two things, right? She argued that Super Tuesday is the majority of states are either open primaries or or, uh, semi-open primaries, right? Which I didn't know. And then the second thing is that her skewering of Trump is among the most powerful indictments of him that we've ever heard from a major politician in the United States. And I'm amazed at what she's doing. I was amazed at her speech the other night. It obviously made him crazy, but she was smiling and she pulled it off and it was her language, right? It was organic, right? It was, it didn't feel 
like she was reading from the teleprompter, right? She really went after him. And then this, and then the part she did on Wednesday, which was this, you know, in South Carolina, was was even in some ways more brutal and more taunting of him. And I'm amazed at what she's doing right now. I mean, there's no way they're ever going to fix that, right? That she's crossed the Rubicon with him, and. Oh no, it's done. yeah, it's done, and and you know what? She's having welcome to the Lincoln right, Project, right, right. Nikki. I mean, that's what I mean. Like she's having a great time. Like I don't know that I've seen a politician smile or be happier on the trail than right. she's been in the last couple of days. I mean, her yeah, there's some happy warrior thing going on there. Yeah, and she realizes that what she's doing is she's doing something deeply patriotic, right? Which is that she's exposing. I mean, I I wonder. I didn't. I missed most of Trump's speech the other night. I had something happen in my house that I had to deal with. And I went back and looked at it later, but I, I wonder what the average Fox viewer was thinking when, because it was as wild and unhinged and emotionally out of control, Trump, it was incredible. It was petty and beneath him and he looked small and craven and unpresidential un, in, every, in way. every way. And the thing is, is that it's like, you know, I posted today in my hope and my hopium chronicles is that. You know, the emperor, part of our job now is that the emperor has no clothes and we have to say it, right? We have to stop participating in this charade of treating him like a serious person and somebody who could be president of the United States. It's a, it's a, you know, Greg Sargent, my friend called it Foxlandia, Foxlandia, right? This imaginary world that doesn't really exist in the real world. We all have to stop going there. And I think what I've been interested in is that as somebody who's been fighting these media narratives, these false media narratives and stuff very intensely for the last two years, in the last few days, I really feel like something's changed with the interviews I've been doing and the kind of reporting. I feel like reporters are going to a place where they're not starting with this conceit that he's strong and powerful. And I I think it's the first time that's happened in, in a long time Right. And and it's and it's meaningful because once you realize the emperor has no clothes, once you pull back the curtain on the wizard. Right. And you see the old man and not the puffy guy with the orange face. And the line I've used, Rick, which was very Rick Wilson like, is that, you know, you can you can paint his face, dye his hair, strap a girdle on him and a diaper two and pump him full of speed. And the guy's still not going to look like a presidential candidate. Right. And I think that for the journalists, something happened in Iowa, New Hampshire, where they saw weakness and there's blood in the water. And it's, it is, it, I've been surprised to be honest, how, I mean, I just did an interview with a very major print reporter that lasted a half an hour. And this story is going to rip Trump to shreds as a candidate. And I was really, I mean, I, Republicans, in my view, have been kind of getting a pass in the last couple of years for their wildness and craziness and their illiberalism and everything else. Something feels like it's changing. And, and, I, and, and it's, it's healthy for the country for there to be a more honest appraisal of who he is and what he represents. You know, I think that's right. I think there has been this sense of, from the shock and awe of 16 that he was somehow covered in Teflon, that he was somehow covered in Kevlar. He was bulletproof. And and that that nothing could get to him, nothing would break him. And and insofar as the hardcore Republican base is, they're right. But what we saw both in Iowa, as you pointed out earlier, with with the a large percentage of Nikki Haley's voters 
willing to break to Donald away from Donald Trump and not vote for him. And then again in New Hampshire, when you saw basically two-thirds of independents vote for Nikki Haley and not Donald Trump. I mean, this thing is there is something it's like an iceberg and part of it's calving off somewhere. We ha- we can't quite tell where it is yet or where it's going to go, but there is certainly a difference in the air. And I do think as the primary winds down, a lot of reporters have sort of had a, had a, a real gut check that Joe Biden isn't the weak, desperate candidate they thought he was. And it may be Donald Trump who's in that position instead. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And I, and I think that something's changed. And I, and I think, Given, you know, what you do and how you, the work that you've done, I mean, I think what's interesting for your listeners to realize is that, you know, the difference between us getting, you know, the, the never Trump or never MAGA, former Republican wing being 2% of the national vote, 3% of the national vote and being 5 or 6% of the national vote is a big deal, right? And, you know, I have been arguing for the last year that I thought the Republicans' extremism was creating these unprecedented opportunities for Democrats to go big and to take away geographic and demographic real estate away from the Republican Party. And we did that in 2023 all across the country. And I think we can do it in 2024. I mean, this and to me, this election wants to be a high single-digit victory for the Democrats. That's where it wants to be. Now, whether the Biden campaign can make that happen is what, you know, we'll see. If it's a high single-digit race for Biden, I feel much conf- more confident about the electoral map that, in that circumstance, especially because, as you pointed out, the Susquehanna poll, we're seeing Biden starting to open up a fairly consistent, not a huge, but a consistent lead on Trump in Pennsylvania. He's softer than he should be in Wisconsin right now. And there, there you know, a lot of work ahead, but maybe some good news, too. Yeah, look, the battleground, people have to remember that these issues around the extremism of MAGA and have been heavily litigated in these battleground states. They were litigated mm-hmm. in 2018. They were litigated in 2020. They were litigated in 2022. If you live in one of these six, seven battleground states, you live in a completely different discourse <laughs> than you do outside oh, yes. the rest of the country because this you, the amount of advertising and candidate time and everything else. And the thing is, MAGA got destroyed in the battleground in 2022. I mean, this is the other thing that's changed. We gained ground in this supposed off, you know, the other thing, look, we saw one anomalous thing happen in the last few days, which is you had a big chunk of one party saying they're willing to vote for the leader of the other party. The other thing that hasn't happened is that the party in power in 2022 and 2023 actually gained ground which never happens in national politics. And it's historically anomalous, right? We, in 2022, we gained ground over 2020 in Arizona, Colorado, Georgia, Minnesota, Michigan, New Hampshire, Pennsylvania. We got all the way up to 59% in Colorado. It's not even a battleground state any longer. 57 in Pennsylvania, 55 in Michigan, right? I mean, we got into very rarefied territory in, in what would have been a good year. And this was, you know, high inflation, low Biden approval, midterm dynamic. And in 2023, right, we got to 56% in Wisconsin, 57 in Ohio, right? We flipped the Virginia State House. We took all this stuff away from Republicans all across the country. And so I think this idea that we're seeing these kind of historically anomalous things happen, and it's because there is this unprecedented force in our politics. It's the fear and opposition to MAGA. It's driving everything that's happening. 
and it is historically anomalous. We've never had to really deal with anything like this before. Yeah, it's it's funny. MAGA was a social movement that happened, you know, starting in 2015. Uh, I think I could make an argument that it peaked when COVID hit. There's still the intensity in it, but it's a shrinking pool. It's like a it's like a a, a white dwarf star collapsing. It gets hotter and smaller as it goes. And so it's going to be more conspiratorial and, and that starts to drive away even more people from the center. And, and I think with, with Biden who comes, who scans as a centrist Biden, it's really hard to put Biden in that box of saying he's a radical wild left-wing progressive seizing the means of production. I mean, he's an operational guy. He's a DC guy. He's also the most religious president we've had in a very long time, you know, probably since Jimmy Carter, right? The last, you know, democratic, you know, a form of religious. And and the other thing that you're saying that I think is I, one thing I've been thinking about a lot the last 48 hours is that because of what we're describing, let's say we're right, white dwarf star, hotter and smaller, right? Which is a great way to put all this. What happens with the rest of the Republican Party over the next 10 months? I mean, it's not like we're in September. We're going to, you know, there could very easily be polls with Biden ahead by five points, six points, you know, in a couple months, right? Ten, you know, in six weeks, eight weeks. What do they do, right? And given that the Republican Party already went there, right? They tried to overturn an election and end American democracy for all time. Everything's on the table, right? And I, I think it means that these kinds of extraordinary things like not doing a border bill and not funding Ukraine and not funding Israel. You know, what, what is that the, the playing field of wild and destructive and illiberal will grow as the desperation sort of sinks in to Trump land. And I worry about that. You know, I worry about that in terms of, you know, I've always worried. I, I don't, I don't worry. I have the slogan in my community that we do more worry less, right? I don't like when people talk about all these things that worry them because we get consumed by it. But let me just say that I have an area of concern, which is this scenario that we're describing, if it all comes true, is also going to encourage Trump to do even more outrageous things than he's done before. And, and I think we have to start sensitizing ourselves to that reality, right? Because he's already did something like you know, lead an armed attack against the United States Congress on one of the only two days where everyone is actually there, right? You know, right. and it's like, once you've done that, like, what else, you know, like, you know, I mean, things like... It's like cannibalism. You know, once you're a cannibal, right, you're right, always a cannibal. Right, right. I mean, what what is left, right, in the imagination of, you know, and right. and, and I, think, I think I wrote something today that I, is, I also just want to put out there, which is that... In listening to Trump talk about Orban and Putin and Xi and everything, Trump thinks these guys are their friends. They're his friends, right? The most delusional part of Trumpism is that he believes that these guys are his buddies as opposed to using him as a pawn to destroy the United States, right? And that's where his delusion, right, his fabulism, his imaginary world that he lives in actually becomes really dangerous, right, for all of us. And and is evidenced by the fact that he may actually try, he may be now working very hard to make sure that Putin wins in Ukraine. And and so this goes from this place of being, he's a doddering old crazy man to being a da- an incredibly historically dangerous figure is something that we can't ever really allow to be anything other than that, in my view. 
I think that's right. Well, Simon Rosenberg, thank you as always for coming on the show today. You are a, a, a clear-eyed individual, and I have always liked that. Uh, folks, Simon writes at the Hopium Chronicles. Check it out. It is one of the best substacks out there. You will get a lot of actionable information, as I like to say. Uh, it'll really open your eyes up to what the political landscape looks like in the country. And uh, Simon, we look forward to having you on the show again soon. Rick, thanks so much. Thanks for what you do. Keep fighting, brother. Thank you, sir. Will do. Thanks again for listening to The Enemies List. If you have any comments, questions, or if there's someone you'd like to hear on the podcast, hit me up on Twitter at TheRickWilson. Thanks again for the wonderful support you've shown the pod. We're growing fast. It really helps if you will share this with your friends, your family, and anyone else who, like us, is trying to save democracy. While you're at it, if you could rate and review the podcast, I would be very much appreciative. I know this is the sort of thing you've heard a billion times. Please rate, review, like, blah, blah, blah. But you need to do it. It really does help us a lot. We are slaves to the algorithm, my friends. And if you do this, it will help get the pod out further. Anyway, thanks again for listening. I'll see you next time. And remember, whatever you do, stay off the list.